Girlfriends, episode number 291, What's Holding You Back from Trusting in God? Hello, and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week, we are talking about trust in God. Why is this so hard? Anyway, let's share about it. Let's get started. Hey, girlfriends, how are you? I'm thrilled to be connecting with you here on the podcast yet again. If you are a first-time listener, I want to give you a special welcome. Thank you for checking us out. I hope you're going to like what we share here and want to become a regular member of the Girlfriends community. And for all the rest of you regulars, I'm thrilled to be reconnecting here again through Girlfriends. Well, this week, we are talking about a very timely topic. This is actually always a timely topic for me. And I bet for you too, this is like the number one thing that we struggle with, learning to trust in God. So a few episodes ago, probably about a month ago now, I can put the link in the show notes to that episode about the Surrender Novena. I I published a podcast about four ways the Surrender Novena can change your life. And I heard from a ton of you who either they were in two categories, <laughs> never heard of it, but were overjoyed to be discovering the Surrender Novena for the first time and finding it life-changing, even in the very beginnings of starting to pray it on a regular basis. And then others of you had been praying this all along and you were keeping the good stuff to yourself. You weren't sharing it with me, but you were happy to find out that I also was benefiting a lot from praying that Surrender Novena. So if you're interested in that, which is a novena based on the words of Jesus as revealed to Servant of God, Don DeLindo, Rutolo many years ago. It's Jesus's own words in this novena. How can you resist? So if you're interested in learning more about that, you can go back a few episodes here on Girlfriends and check out that episode. But having heard from so many of you, I started to dive a little deeper into this because I did hear from some of you who said, I've been praying this and it's still my number one struggle. This idea of surrender, this idea of lacking trust. And you know what? At the end of the day, that is what it's all about. Like if we can figure this out, if we can figure out how to get past our lack of trust and learn to trust more in God, learn to surrender ourselves, surrender our lives to God, we don't need to do anything else. Like that is it. That's that's what we're made for. And that's how we're going to get to heaven. And yet it's such a battle to do it. And it can be so hard in the nitty gritty of living that out. But it really is at the center of it all. We've shared here on the podcast before about going back all the way to the Garden of Eden. Eve in the Garden of Eden, what was her temptation that she succumbed to? It wasn't that the serpent went to her and said, look at that juicy fruit. Doesn't that look delicious? Why don't you take a bite? No. What he did, he was much smarter than that, much more cunning. He went and slithered around her feet and said to her, you know, what did, what did God tell you about that tree? And she answered him honestly. He told us that we can't eat of it lest we die. And then what did the serpent say? He said, oh, you will not die. He just doesn't want you to eat that because then you will become like him, knowing good from evil. And in those words, he tempted her to doubt, to doubt in the goodness of God. And that 
is at the core of every sin we might ever commit, every wrong thing we might ever do. That's at the core of it. Not believing that God wants good things for us. And this is the eternal struggle. Not believing that God wants good things for us, believing perhaps he's keeping the good things for himself, that he wants to deprive us of good things. And if we want good things, we have to take them for ourselves. It's in that grasping. And that's what Eve did. She took for herself. She disobeyed in a way that affected the history of all of mankind and that we're still suffering the results of that today. And that's why we have this inclination to distrust. And so if you're struggling with this, welcome to the club. Welcome to being human. (laughs) So don't despair. I hear from people sometimes who just kind of want to throw it all away and despair because it's difficult, because it's challenging. And yet that's part of the process. That's part of it. If you're experiencing that, that It's part of it. That's part of how God's calling you into deeper relationship with him is through this challenge, through this opportunity, this invitation. He's inviting us always into a deeper connection with him. He's inviting us to trust in him. And some of the things I'm going to share here today in this episode come from the book by Father Jacques Philippe, Searching for and Maintaining Peace. Have you read it? I'm such a fan of Father Jacques Philippe. He is... A uh, contemporary writer. He's French. He's a priest, and he writes so beautifully, succinctly, simply, accessibly for modern people. I it, he really has a gift for this. And so, if you get this book, um, you know sometimes people are like, "You have to read this book," and I'm like that about his books. But sometimes they're like that, and then they'll hand you this big, fat, overwhelming volume, like "Must Read: The Diary of Saint Faustina," right? Something like that. But this isn't like that. This is such a doable thing to read, Father Jack Philippe's books because they're small. They're these little little mini books. They're thin. You can just put them in your bag. You can put them in your car. You can take them with you, leave them at your bedside table. And you can open them up anytime and just glean these little bits of wisdom that are so practical, so accessible. So you can put it into practice in your life right this minute. And I love that about him. That is the kind of spiritual writing that I really thrive on. And so if that's you too, I really want to encourage you to check out, especially this book, which is along the themes of what we're talking about here today, Searching for and Maintaining Peace. So I'm going to share a little bit, I'm going to share, let's see, three different thoughts of three different things that might be holding you back from fully trusting in God. We're going to kind of dive into each of these a little bit. So the first one is fear. This is what stops us, right? We're we're afraid. We're we're afraid that God won't provide. We're afraid we're going to fail. We're afraid there won't be enough. We've got this scarcity complex about the world. Whether we're talking about money or food or clothing or cars or houses or jobs or opportunities or social status, we think there's not going to be enough. God will not provide. I can't trust God with this part of my life because he won't provide. And yeah, it sounds terrible when you say it that way, but many of us wouldn't say that, wouldn't say those words. But how many of us are living out our lives as if we believe those words? How many of us are grasping, taking things for ourselves, even just in an, on an emotional or spiritual level, in a way that's offensive to God, that we're not trusting in God? He's calling on us to move past that fear which is very normal. This is part of the human experience, like I said. And yet, if you're feeling fearful in that way, I want to I want to challenge you. Challenge your perception of God. I had a very revealing conversation with a friend recently where we were kind of talking about like what's your what's your go-to kind of thought or what kind of words would you use to describe God? And this can be a very telling practice if you if you want to just take a moment and say like what three words would I use to describe God immediately and just going with what comes to the front of your mind. And my friend was was really struggling with something and and she was saying words like powerful, cold, 
harsh, strict judging. And yes, there is the justice of God, but sometimes we get focused on God as sort of this all-powerful being that doesn't love us, that doesn't want good things for us, that wants to actually take away our good things, right? We can't trust God with our lives because he's going to ruin everything. He's going to spoil all our fun. And yet we need to challenge our perception. We need to challenge the way that we're thinking about God because he's our loving father and he wants to give us every good thing. And yet we hesitate to kind of step out and trust him in that way. And that's why those words, thy will be done, are some of the hardest in the world to pray and mean. We've talked about this before here on the podcast, that those are the most challenging words. Being able to pray thy will be done is sometimes an impossible challenge for us. And yet that's exactly what God calls on us to do, to step out in faith sometimes, to trust him. And that doesn't mean not using, you know, the resources he gives us, our own gifts and talents to, you know, work a job, provide for our families, care for other people. Of course, he gives us those things. Those things come from God, but, you know, fully giving over every part of your life to God and then kind of allowing him to give it back. So that's one phrase that really stood out to me in Father Jacques Philippe's book, Searching for and Maintaining Peace. He had one section that was titled, God asks for everything, but he doesn't necessarily take everything. And I think that's a really great way of thinking about it, very clear, because that's what we're afraid of sometimes. There's that great quote from C.S. Lewis that says, we're not necessarily doubting that God wants the best for us. We're wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. And that's exactly it sometimes. We're holding back because, oh yeah, God wants what's best for us. Well, what's that going to mean? That's going to mean sacrifice and deprivation. That's going to mean pain and suffering, grief and loss. And yes, sometimes, yes, God can bring about good from even those evil things that we might experience. He never wants us to suffer. Sometimes he does allow for it though. And yet he's not always, that's not always going to be his response to us trusting him. You know, you look at that story of the, in the book of Job, you look at Job and that's our big fear, right? Like I can't trust in God. Look what he did to Job. But, you know, Job is a unique, a unique circumstance, a unique story. Most of us are not living lives like that. We're living lives that are actually filled with many blessings. God asks for everything, but doesn't necessarily take everything. So what he wants is for us to turn over our lives to him turn over our finances to him, our marriage to him, our kids to him, our health to him. All of these things, he's asking us to turn over to him, turn over our time to him, our schedules, our work, our opportunities, our fertility. That's a huge one that we don't necessarily want to. But see, that's the thing. If we're trusting him with these things that are so life-changing, they affect our day-to-day so much, they're what keep us awake in the middle of the night sometimes, worrying about these things turning them over to God, there's such great peace to be found. And that is part of what Father Jacques Philippe shares in this book in turning these things over to God and trusting in him so that even if bad things happen, even if he does allow bad things to happen, trusting that he's going to work them together for our good, having that kind of confidence in God is everything. So we sometimes have this this false notion that God is out to get us. He's just waiting for us to trust him so we can take everything and make us suffer and leave us um, desolate and desperate and deprived. But that's not what he wants for us. He doesn't want to hurt us. He wants us to turn everything over to him for our own good, because he knows that's what's going to lead to our eternal happiness. So I, I want to challenge you to think about, if you if you have fear in your heart when you think about trusting God fully with your life, and, or maybe one particular part of your life where you feel like you're holding back, 
I want to challenge you to think about what's your underlying thinking? What is that fear? You might be surprised to find out what your underlying thinking is. Are you thinking about God as kind of this evil taker, this evil taskmaster, this person who wants to take away every good thing from you and make you suffer that you can't trust, just like Eve in the garden? Are you thinking, I can't trust in him? Are you believing those doubts that the evil one wants to plant in your mind? that God doesn't want good things for you. He's keeping the good things for himself. You need to take those things for yourself. So challenge yourself. And you might be surprised to realize what some of your basic and faulty underlying thinking is. What is your mistaken perception of who God is? I want to challenge you to do that. So that's the first one. Fear holds us back from trusting fully in God. And then the next one is a lack of prayer. I know you're rolling your eyes right now. (laughs) Here she goes again, telling me I need to make time to pray. I don't have time. I'm busy. I'm overwhelmed. I'm stressed. I can't do it. I understand. I, I know all of this. But, you know, the result of a spending time in quiet contemplative prayer, whatever amount you can do on a regular basis, the result is our own peace. You can't trust in God if you don't know him. How can you trust in somebody you don't know? How would you trust in somebody that you never experience? And it's in quiet contemplative prayer that we experience God. I once heard a story of a monk who was kind of absorbed in contemplative prayer in the chapel. And when he came out, somebody asked him, what do you do in there? And his simple response was, I look at him and he looks at me. And that really stayed with me. I love that description of contemplative prayer because that is so simple. And yet that's what it's all about. That idea of spending time with God. Sometimes we have this idea that like our prayer time has to be arduous. We have to be working at it. We have to be kind of putting on a performance for God. We've got to do certain prayers and it has to look like this. It has to be a rosary or it has to be, you know, uh, this novena or this chaplet or whatever. All of those things are great, but really what it's all about is God just wants to spend time with you. He just wants to be with you. How can you trust somebody that you don't know? How That would be crazy. You can't trust somebody that you don't know. If you don't allow yourself to feel the Father's love for you, how are you going to trust that he wants every good thing for you? You're not. You're not because you aren't going to know it. So this is part of what you what you experience in contemplative prayer is growing in relationship with God, coming to know God on a more personal level, being comfortable in his presence and receiving his gaze. So there's a phrase that comes from Ignatian spirituality where you begin prayer by receiving the gaze of Jesus. And a beautiful way to kind of contemplate this and kind of practice this is looking at that scripture passage in Mark chapter 10, where we read the gospel story where the young man who is wealthy goes to Jesus and says, what what do I have to do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus tells him, you know, follow my commandments. And he says, I have, I've done all of these things. And and yet what he hadn't done is give up everything to follow Jesus. And Jesus tells him this, he says, go and sell all of your things and give give the money to the poor and come follow me. And the young man is then sad because the, the gospel passage tells us he had many things. And then, but there's this phrase where we read, this is the quotation from Mark chapter 10, verse 21. And this is a beautiful phrase to just reflect on. Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's That's what Jesus does. He looks at you and he loves you. 
It's that personal. We're meant to place ourselves in these gospel stories. Put your name in there. Jesus looks at you and loves you. Put yourself there. Reflect on that, just that little passage. Reflect on receiving the gaze of Jesus. And you don't have to do anything more than that to sit in his presence, to begin your prayer time, or it could be the the entirety of your prayer time could be made up by receiving the gaze of Jesus, sitting in his presence. I look at him and he looks at me. So, you know, you might do that just by contemplating that passage from scripture. You might look at a crucifix, just ponder that, that kind of love, that kind of outpouring of his very self, how Jesus did that for you personally. In a very intimate way, he loves you and knows you, and he gives of him his very self for you. Every bit, poured out every bit of himself out of love for you in a personal way. Reflect on that. And is that the kind of God who's who doesn't care? Who's going to look to make you suffer? Who's going to look to take everything away from you? You know, so it's through that kind of contemplation that you can come to know and understand the love of God. So I'm not lecturing you here and telling you, you need to do X, you know, X number of minutes more in prayer every day. But I I do want to invite you. I want to encourage you to spend more deliberate time in contemplative prayer. If you are struggling with a lack of trust in God, this is a beautiful way to kind of step into that. A beautiful way to grow in trust in God is by spending time with him, getting to know him, allowing him to love you. You do that by sitting in his presence. And you don't do that by always being on the fly and saying, my life is a prayer and, you know, giving God the scraps of your day or here and there when you happen to think of him, you know, that's, that's fine. I mean, it's good to do those things and pray throughout your day, even when you're very busy, but it is vitally important that you have times in your day on a regular basis where you are sitting in his presence. And if you have five minutes, start with those five minutes. We've talked about this before. Everybody has five minutes. What are you using your five minutes for? I understand you're busy. I understand you're exhausted. You're depleted. But the good news is this is for you to rest in him. And if you begin with those five minutes, you might just be surprised to find yourself craving more. You might be surprised to find yourself lengthening that time that you're spending in quiet contemplation, contemplative prayer, letting God love you, receiving his gaze. And the result of that is peace, peace in trusting God, learning to know who he is. And of course, then when we know who God is and how good he is and how much he loves us, when we experience that, of course, we're going to trust in him. So I'm not lecturing you. I'm not making demands. I am inviting you. I'm encouraging you. You know, I, I love this this way of phrasing it, inviting, because there's, um, I've mentioned before that I, I love to use the Peloton app for, for workouts. I find it a really flexible way to do different kinds of workouts. And one of the things I really love on it are the, they're called the outdoor workouts, which are just, it's an audio file and you download it to your phone. And then this coach is in your earbuds while you're running and kind of coaches you through. I love to do interval workouts that way, kind of coaching you through different intervals and sprints and slower and walking and running and, you know, all the different levels of um, running for intervals. So I I love to do that. And this one particular coach um, 
is is a really really encouraging person and one of the things that she says is like at the end of a run there it's really funny because usually you do like a sprint in these exercises which is hard and at the end of that you take a break where you walk for like 30 seconds or something and kind of recover and at the end of the very last one recently when I did one of these she at the end of it, the sprint it was the very end of the workout there was just a little bit of a recovery left and she said I want to invite you to, instead of walking these 30 seconds to recover, jog and then walk, jog for 30 seconds and then walk, which, you know, I I didn't want to because I was exhausted. It was the end of several of these intervals and this was the end of a sprint. And usually we get to walk at the end of the sprint. And yet I I thought that was a very encouraging way of phrasing it. I want to invite you to do this, this hard thing. Well, I want to invite you to do this hard thing, which good news, it doesn't end up being a hard thing, but it is a commitment. I want to invite you to have more time in your day, set in your day, scheduled in your day first. It doesn't have to be first thing in the morning, though that's a great time to do it. But, you know, putting it in first and scheduling everything else around it. Sometimes our priorities are messed up. Do you suffer from a lack of contemplative prayer in your life? Well, what are you placing in greater priority over it then? Look at your schedule, figure out where you can do that. And everybody has five minutes. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take that. <laughs> I'm not going to believe you. You might have five minutes, they get interrupted. You might have five minutes at different times every day, but you have five minutes. So start there. And then it's part of how you can grow and trust. It's this lack of prayer in your life that might be leading to you holding back from trusting more fully in God and finding the happiness that he wants you to have in that. All right. The third way that some of us are kind of getting in our own way, what's holding us back from fully trusting in God is our own faults. So this is something that um, I think many of us use this as an excuse and we don't realize it's an excuse. We kind of put this as an obstacle between ourselves and a, a closer relationship with God. Like I'm too busy. I'm, you know, I'm impatient. I'm distracted when I pray. All of these things. I'm impatient with my family. All of these things that kind of get in the way of us trusting fully in God. The good news is God knows all about them and he's calling on you to trust in him anyway. And, you know, we sometimes think God can't act in my life. He can't act through me. I can't trust in God to to do good things through the work that I'm going to do or through this family thing I'm trying to do because I struggle so much and I'm weak in all these ways and I'm sinful. I'm flawed. He knows all about that. And he calls us to him anyway. He calls on us to trust in him and allow him to work in us and through us if we will just abandon ourselves to him and trust that he can use flawed instruments to do beautiful things. I mean, look, look at the scriptures. That's all he does is use flawed people to do miraculous things. And there are so many inspiring examples throughout scripture of God using flawed people to accomplish beautiful things. Look at King David, a great saint, a great hero, and yet also a very flawed person who sinned greatly against God. And look at Moses, who struggled in his relationship with God, struggled to say yes to God when he first was called. He felt he wasn't up to the task. He said, I've got, you know, I'm not a good speaker. You've got the wrong person. And yet God said, nope, I'm not making a mistake here. You, I'm calling you. And God is calling you too. In spite of all those things that you know about that you're not good at or that you struggle with and the flaws that you have. And God knows all about them and he's calling you anyway. So let God act in you. 
you will not overcome your faults on your own, your flaws and your obstacles on your own, but God can do that through you. Recognize often too that our anxiety over our own flaws is actually pride. It's actually pride that, you know, we we think um, that we have to do these things ourselves or that we need to overcome our flaws on our own. And so we don't allow God to act in us. Or, you know, it's pride when, when we've messed up in some way, we, we're not, we're not upset because we've offended God. We're, we're upset because we're, we've embarrassed ourselves or that we, we've fallen short of our own idea of ourselves. Our pride is wounded. So it takes great humility to fully embrace who you are, not embrace sin, not embrace your flaws, always be working at them, but to accept who you are who God made you and the ways in which you're sometimes flawed and sometimes you're going to fall short and allow God to work with that. Allow God to work in that. He can do beautiful things. If you will abandon yourself to him, flaws and all, God can bring out good even from our own faults, even from sin, even from the results of sin in our lives. God can bring about good things. He does that. There's a great quotation from St. John of the Cross that says, love is able to profit from everything, the good as well as the bad that it finds in me and to transform it into itself. That's what God does. He profits from everything, the good as well as the bad that it finds in you and transforms it into itself, into love. God can do that, but we have to allow him to do it. He's not going to force himself into our lives and do it. We need to turn to him. We need to trust him. We need to abandon ourselves to him. So you find yourself flawed. You're worried about these shortcomings of yours. Rejoice. God can work great things through you. And so much greater will be the glory to God if he can work through flawed instruments. So much greater is God's glory when it's so obviously not us that's acting in any good way. I recognize this most clearly in my own life. There are times when, you know, something happens either in my my parenting or in my marriage or I'm counseling a friend and some good benefit comes from it, maybe from something that I said or something that I did. And I feel so removed from that good thing, not in a bad way, but I know it's not me. I allow God to work through me. And this is what every one of us can do is allow God to work through us. And of course, I'm not perfect at this. This is something I struggle to do too. I need this reminder as much as anybody else. This idea that our flaws and our faults and our shortcomings are not an obstacle for God. He can work with them. Love is able to profit from everything, the good as well as the bad that it finds in me and to transform it into itself. That is so encouraging because it means all these flaws and these things that end up being our excuses are no excuse. There is no excuse. There's nothing that can hold us back. There's nothing that can thwart God from the good that he wishes to accomplish in us. So those are my three thoughts about three things that might be holding you back from more fully trusting in God. First, fear second, lack of prayer, and third, your own faults. But as we're wrapping up here, you know, maybe you've had some thoughts. What are what are the things that you struggle with when it comes to trusting in God? What helps you move past those things? And what other items might you add to this list? What is holding you back from more fully trusting in God? I'd love it if you would share with me. You can email me, danielle at daniellebean.com. Connect with me on social media. I'm Danielle Bean on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So this final note I want to make before we move to the next part of the show is in conclusion, 
Like, what do you do when you find yourself feeling like you're unable to trust in God? And there was this little short quote from um, uh, Mart Robin, which who is quoted in uh, the book that I was talking about at the start of the show by Father Jacques Philippe, "Searching for and Maintaining Peace." So he's addressing this idea of what if, what if you what do you do when you're unable to abandon yourself in God? And Mart Robin said, "Abandon yourself anyway. It's that simple." do it anyway. That sounds very much like the kind of advice that I've shared with you before here on Girlfriends about fake it till you make it. Say the words and pray to mean them. Fake it till you make it. Abandon yourself anyway. And St. Therese of Lisieux said, total abandonment, that's my only law. It's that simple. Like I said at the start, that's what it's all about. This is it. If we can accomplish this, if we can do this, if we can achieve this total abandonment, make that your only law. If we can do this, that's everything. God will help you to do the rest. Total abandonment. And that's really what that surrender novena, which is such a powerfully beautiful prayer, is all about. Surrendering ourselves to God, giving ourselves over to God, recognizing He asks for everything, but He's not necessarily going to take everything. Just give Him everything. Speak the words, say the words, examine your motives Examine your thoughts, your habits, your perceptions, but then in the end, abandon yourself anyway. Say the words and trust that true abandonment, that true trust in God is going to follow. All right, coming up, we've got some listener feedback, a question about homemaking, housekeeping. Oh, this is a good one. I can't wait to share it with you. But first, a quick break. I'm Danielle Bean, and you're listening to The Girlfriends Podcast. How do I capture and pass down insights and truths that are meaningful? Hi, I'm Jeff Cavins, the creator of the Bible Timeline Learning System, and I created the Insight Journal. Within the Insight Journal is a system to keep track of the best insights of life in an organized and easily accessible way. No more rummaging through journal after journal to find that one insight from prayer that you want to share. I have done months of research to create the best journal for you to keep your golden nuggets of truth. Get ready to write your insights from Mass, the Bible, talks, and more in a beautiful cloth-covered journal with a ribbon, strap, and interior folder. To order your copy of the Insight Journal, go to ascensionpress.com forward slash insight journal. Welcome back. Now we're at the point in the show where I like to share a listener question, some listener feedback. If you have a question for me that you'd like me to take up in this part of the show, please do send it to me, danielle at daniellebean.com or send it to me on Instagram. I'm daniellebean on Instagram. I would love to be able to answer your questions here. Or if maybe you have a topic you'd like me to take up on just, uh, sometimes I do turn these questions into a topic for a whole show if they if they weren't that. So send me your thoughts on that. Um, so this week I heard from Rebecca who says, Dear Danielle, I'm wondering if you might share a little bit about how to keep up with housework when you have little kids. I have five kids under the age of eight and my house feels like a continual wreck. It drives me crazy. And my husband is so sweet and would never complain, but I know it drives him crazy too. I feel perpetually behind on laundry. Every space feels cluttered and all the kids' toys and school books and just stuff seems to be everywhere all the time. I'm sure you don't have a magic solution for me, but any tips or suggestions for getting my act together would be so appreciated. Thank you so much for your podcast. I feel like we're friends every time I listen. God bless you, Rebecca. 
All right. Thank you so much for sending in that question, Rebecca. And thank you for listening and for sharing that you feel like we're friends. I feel like we're friends too. Every time I meet somebody in person who listens to the podcast, I'm like, okay, you get it. You're my friend. (laughs) I totally believe that. So every one of you listening right now, you're my friend. Thanks for being friends. So thank you for that, Rebecca. And then your question. Yes. Okay. I do have some things to share here. So first of all, this too shall pass. Let's say that. This too shall pass, first and foremost, because I'm at a stage in my my life now where I am in a quieter age of parenting. My youngest turned 15 last month, and that's insane, but it's true. And I am better able to keep up with some things now around the house with housekeeping. I'm never going to be the perfect housekeeper that my mom is and was when I was growing up. Um, it's, that's just not in my DNA, (laughs) but I am able to keep up with basics and some things more than I did back then. And not so much feel like what I'm hearing described in your email, Rebecca, is like this sense of drowning in it and feeling like you're always behind. You can't keep up, you know, and that's normal. That's a normal part of that. So recognize that that part is normal and that it's not going to always be like that. It really is true. Um, I had a girlfriend years ago who was a little bit ahead of me in the parenting game. And I remember her sharing with me when her kids grew up and some got married and some were at college. And she, she told me when the kids were little and I was struggling to keep up with the housework, I always just wanted like vacuum lines on the carpet and I never had them. And that was like a source of frustration for me. And she said, now I have them and I don't, I don't care. (laughs) Like, what's it for? And that really stayed with me because she was sharing in a very real way. Like I had this value, this priority, and I didn't even realize that it wasn't really what I wanted. And these vacuum lines that I was kind of aspiring to weren't going to serve anybody. This, This home is meant to be something that's serving my family. And that's something I've kind of had to make peace with throughout the years too, as well. And my friend's perspective really helped me to kind of keep that in mind, especially when the kids were young and I was having trouble keeping up with things, was that our home is meant to serve our family. It's meant to be a gift to our family. It's not, nobody's going to come in and take pictures of it for a magazine. Well, they did that once, but it wasn't (laughs) It wasn't in a glamorous way. It was for Faith and Family magazine years ago. Maybe some of you are are fans of that magazine, which is no longer publishing. They came in and took pictures of my house, like when it was messy. And then after we cleaned, kind of like a before and after. And it was like a kind of a a how-to, like housekeeping with little kids. Like I was any kind of expert on that. But it was really just an article sharing in a very real way about the challenges of housekeeping with um, a family that uses your home. Anyway, just that was just a little side note. But yeah. These aren't for, you know, this isn't something that's going to be on Pinterest or, you know, don't aspire to that. Those kind of immaculate, cold photos like, you know, this is your home and it's meant to be where your family grows. It's meant to be the place of your domestic church. This is real life. This is meant to serve you and your family. This is meant to be a gift to you. So in what ways is it serving you? In what ways are maybe your standards or some of your frustrations or the things you want it to look like kind of an an obstacle to that, getting in the way of that? So think about that. And no, like this isn't forever. If you have, there's nothing wrong with like liking vacuum lines or wanting, you know, clean tiles or, you know, washed windows or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But the fact is, this too shall pass. 
and you will get to those things. And if you have some of those things that are, you know, that really would help you to feel better, then yeah, maybe focusing on those things that we all have different tolerance levels for the amount of mess and chaos and having clean living spaces really is something that can really contribute to your peace of mind. So not immaculate. Notice I'm not saying perfect, but um, decluttered. So you mentioned the clutter. Let's, let's look around. And that's what I would recommend next is look around you. What is the mess that you're talking about? You mentioned school things. Is it books? You mentioned laundry. Is it clothing? You mentioned toys. Is it dishes? And you can begin to have like a basic system. Do you have a basic system for some of those things? Like where do books go? Where do the school books go? Do you have a place for them? Well, if you don't have a place for them, they are going to be all over the place. There's no place to put them. What about toys? Do you have a place for them? For years, like, you know, when the kids were little, it made a lot of sense. We we did have toys around and I would try to kind of curb how many we had and you know, around Christmas when I knew people were going to give them gifts, we tried to give away others of them so we didn't accumulate too much and only keeping the things that they truly enjoyed playing with. But still, like, you know, with eight kids, it was eight times the toys and it was sometimes quite messy. And, you know, for years in the corner of our living room, we just had a bin. This is as basic and as simple as it was. It was just a large bin where we tossed all the toys. So picking up the living room was fairly simple and even a two-year-old could help to do it. Just putting the toys into that bin. We don't have that bin there anymore, (laughs) but, you know, and and we had similar bins in their bedrooms and that kind of thing. But have a basic place, at least something that rudimentary can work where they go. Do you have a system in place? Look around and decide what is making up the clutter. If it's books, do you have places where they go? If it's clothing, Let's let's talk about that one because that's the next thing I want to talk about is laundry. And um, so I can share with you, it was kind of like a revelation to me years ago when I, this was before the kids were really old enough to do their own laundry and I was feeling overwhelmed by it and it just felt like it was never done. It was never caught up and you're, you're kind of sharing that. Um, and there are going to be some stages of family life where it's not, it's not caught up. That's not a reasonable goal. But something that helped me a lot was realizing that, I could make this something that it it did require effort on my part. I had to push through a little bit, but I could make this a gift I would give to myself. And that's how I needed to think about it. Doing the laundry every day, all the way was a gift that I could give to myself. And that, that sounds weird, right? It's not a gift. Laundry is not a gift. It's not a gift you give to yourself, but it felt like it was when I looked at it the right way in that I would look around sometimes, you know, when in in a busy time or in a stressful time, and I would realize the laundry was kind of like a symptom of what was going on in my life. Like if my life was chaotic and out of control, the laundry was chaotic and out of control. If the laundry was pretty well caught up, I was feeling pretty good. And like I was on top of things and feeling balanced. And recognizing that, I said, well, how can I address this? And I realized I had to be doing it every day. I fought that for a while. Like I used to think, well, just doing it twice a week, just doing all of it at once. That way I'm not focused on it the other days of the week. But Doing it every day at a certain point with a certain number of kids, like it's just required, you know, between sheets and towels and diapers, if you're washing diapers and just everybody's clothing, it it just became impossible to just do it on a couple of days a week. It didn't make sense. It was overwhelming. And the way I kept it from being overwhelmed, kept myself from being overwhelmed was by doing it every day, at least one or two loads. And um, that generally was enough. Never, never really needed to do more than two loads if I was staying on top of it every day and doing it all the way. Okay. So this is the second part. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you listening right now, you've got laundry on your dining room table. You've got laundry sitting 
getting cold in the dryer. You've got laundry sitting um, oh, all over your, your bed in your bedroom. You've got a laundry in the staircase. Like, you know, it's in different stages all over your house. And this is so frustrating. And this leads to that. Like for, I rec- recognize for me, it led to that kind of feeling of not in control. It led to that feeling of I'm spiraling out of control and this life is chaos. So doing it all the way meant all the way to the closets and dresser drawers. Yeah, mm, that was the part. That was where I always got stuck. It seemed I was usually able to move the stuff through the machines, but then when it came to folding and putting away or hanging up, I just had this mental block. Like it was too overwhelming, but if it was just one load, I could do that, you know? And so doing it every day and doing it all the way was really just a way that I could really find that I was staying on top of the laundry, not perfectly, never perfectly, I'm still not perfectly on top of the laundry all the time, but it was much more doable in that way. So I would really recommend doing that. All right. And then um, also I want to mention having checkpoints in your day. So you've got, it's, you know, a lot of little kids and it feels chaotic to you. This is something that really was helpful to me was having checkpoints in our day, not necessarily a super scheduled kind of chore chart, although I've done that too, um, but having checkpoints in your day and the, the ones that really worked for me were kind of around mealtime. So After breakfast, we'd have certain things that we were doing, cleaning up dishes, for example. After lunch, maybe we homeschooled, so cleaning up the books from the morning schoolwork at lunchtime or cleaning up the dishes, the kitchen from lunch after dinner, cleaning up toys, cleaning up the play spaces after dinner, and then at bedtime. Just having those natural checkpoints in your day, and it doesn't have to take long, but kind of training yourself and your kids to have those points in your day where you kind of assess, that prevents it from becoming an overwhelming mess. That prevents the chaos that we've been talking about. If, you know, a few times in your day, you're looking around and saying, what can be put away? What's out of place? And having those systems in place so there are places to put things um, can really prevent it from becoming this overwhelming, chaotic mess at the end of the day. But just, you know, doing that. So the ones I recommend are after breakfast. If your kids are going to school after breakfast, before everybody goes to school, making sure that, you know, dishes are are cleared from the table, um, you know, any items that they played with in the morning. And then if your kids are home, then after lunch, certainly after dinner, there's a fair amount of cleanup from, from meal prep and that kind of thing. And then at bedtime, making sure their bedrooms are are tidied up, books are put away, clothing is put where it's supposed to be and that sort of thing. Um, But your kids can help with this. And one benefit that I found from doing that was that it naturally led to kind of a rhythm in our days. Wasn't necessarily a really rigid routine, but it led to what felt like a very natural way of flowing through our day and checking in with these kind of basic chores and basic cleanup in a way that wasn't ever really overwhelming. All right. And then the final point I want to make to you, Rebecca, is you can hire help if you want to and have zero guilt about that. This is something I think women sometimes feel like they need permission to do. And, you know, you might hire a housekeeping service to come in just once a month, get to the stuff that you're not getting to. Or some people like to do it more often than that, once a week, more than that if you want. Um, And it doesn't have to be a housekeeping service. Maybe there's a a local teenager that might like to help out. You could just pay a little bit. Maybe there's a homeschooler in your area who could come over and do that sort of thing for you. Maybe you can swap with a friend. You could offer her some services, maybe babysitting if she'll come and clean your house while you're out. There's lots of creative ways that you can get this help if you need it. And you, you're not, you don't have to be superwoman about it. You can hire help and have absolutely no guilt about that. So if, if you have the budget for it, if, um, if it's something that is appealing to you, go for it. 
absolutely go for that and maybe focus on those things that really cause you to have that sense of overwhelm. You know, what you shared in your email, Rebecca, about feeling overwhelmed by all of these things and the, the level of chaos. You know, I get it. I understand that feeling and um, it's not pleasant. And so if maybe you could hire help to address some of those basic things that are leading to you feeling that way, that could go a long way towards your peace of mind. So for sure, go for that. All right. That's all the time we have for today. But I want to thank you, Rebecca, for writing in. If you want to write in a question of your own for me to take up here on the podcast, email me, danielle at daniellebean.com or let's connect on social media. I would love to connect with you, especially on Instagram. I'm Danielle Bean on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thank you so much for being part of today's show. I do not take for granted the time that we get to spend here together. I know you have many things going on in your life. You have many commitments and priorities. And so I'm just honored. I know it's a great privilege that you choose to spend some time with me here at Girlfriends each week. Thank you so much for the gift of that. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between daniellebean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. 